Hello, hello. This is Leif Hetlen, and uh, this is Kingdom Family Talk. And I have this joy of having Jennifer Stockman here with me. And uh, she's part of our family, uh, part of the staff at our church at Bethel, and is also leading the first year of the student at School of Supernatural Ministry here in Atlanta. And uh, I just love uh, Jenny and uh, her husband, mm -hmm. as well as four amazing daughters. So welcome to Kingdom Family Talk. And I'm very, very excited about uh, something that I know that is burning in your heart, that is burning in my heart, that I know that our family need to hear about. Oh, I'm so honored to be here, Leif. You and your message has been one of the most influential shapers in who I am. So it is an honor to be here today, for sure. Thank you. And one of the things that happens at the Hetlands home is that uh, often we're saying when I'm arriving home on a Friday or Saturday and, and we're saying, who is speaking? And they say, wow, it is, Je it is Jenny Stockman. She's going to speak. And the whole family, you can just sense this energy. So you are one of our favorite speakers. But on the top of that also has become an author and it excites me. Uh, part of it, I got to read a script, read all of it. And there was something that happened in me while, you, while I was reading it that I also realized that our family throughout the world, they need to know about it. And uh, so can you tell us a little bit about yourself, uh, Justin, the girls, and just who you are? Let people yes. get to know who you are. I would love to. So yes, I am Jen Stockman, and we've been living over here on the southern side for six years now. Mm. So we moved from Northern California six years ago, and we've just been loving everything about our journey over here. And we just took a radical left turn following Jesus off the map and have um, four gorgeous girls who are just the absolute happiest <laughs> thought in our life. And Justin, my husband, we're getting ready to celebrate our 17th wow. wedding anniversary. So last year we, we could drive a car. Mm. So who knows where we'll go this year? Oh, it's gonna be exciting. <laughs> yeah. it's, it's gonna be exciting. No, it was, it was fun because when you first moved here and uh, it was, yeah, we had just moved here, I think a little bit about a year before. Yeah. And, uh, since then you've been over at our house quite a bit we've been at your house we've done life together yeah. family together and getting to know you getting to know you as a family being part of a, a bigger family of what god is doing and what he's up to uh, one of the reasons i wanted you here and to be able to share is a little bit about just your new book the war on your voice and part of the reason is I, i'm interested in people that do not just have a message but a message got them and I know yeah. you you have become something and I was thinking about it even before we did this interview uh, I talked to a friend of mine yesterday who is a key leader in America but he was telling me that he he's a little concerned that there's a lot of people that know a lot about Jesus but they don't know Jesus and then I was thinking about oh wow I'm going to meet Jenny I'm going to meet her and here's somebody that knows Jesus mm. I know that you know Jesus and you're contagious about who you know and it's very different even when when you're preaching when you're writing you're not talking about somebody that you know about but somebody that you know somebody that you're intimate with somebody that I know is your best friend and yeah. I want to just uh, for you to describe a little bit about just your relationship with Jesus yeah yeah well you know he is just the heartbeat 
of everything I love about life, everything I love about my story, everything I love about who I am today is really because his goodness just came and overwhelmed me in a way I just wasn't aware was possible. So um, I just grew up being fascinated with the gospel, Mm. that there would be this God who would die on a cross and give us a gift of salvation. And I remember even as a, a kid, just loving going to church, but I really had no idea you could talk to God out outside of Sunday. And, you know, I hit a really low place in my life um, when I was a teenager and on the outside looked like I had all the promises of the gospel and looked like I was just a shining star example of what a Christian should look like. But inside there was a level of brokenness that was absolutely overwhelming in the deepest parts of who I was. And I remember one night just getting to such a low place that I just held a whole bottle of pills in my hand. And I didn't wanna die, but the thought of dying was the only place I could find relief from the torment I was in. And I remember in that season, I had a verse that I had taped up next to my wall and it was Hosea 6.3. And it said, let us press on to know the Lord. His coming forth will be as certain as the dawn, as certain as the spring rain watering the earth. And he, you know, when I hated my life, he crashed in and wanted to make a great exchange and wanted the very thing I was hating. And, you know, on the second day after Jesus was buried in the ground, he went into the depths of darkness. And the Bible says he visited Sheol. And David had prophesied thousands of years earlier, where could I go from your spirit? If I went into the deepest, darkest places of Sheol, even there, you would be there. And, you know, he began to completely ruin my heart when I began to see a Jesus who went lower. He made sure he would always go to a deeper depth in our deepest darkness than we ever would. And he just began to unveil himself to me as a present God, as an intimate God, one who wasn't just concerned about rescuing me out of my brokenness, but actually stepping into my brokenness and letting his presence heal me and bind me back together to him. How old were you then? I I was about 17 Mm. then. Yeah. So, so you had a major transformation then mm-hmm. in, in regard to your relationship with him. Yeah, yeah. And it really ruined me for any type of form without power, mm. for any any type of just knowing things about him that I loved and that I, I became so ruined for the rest of my life to become a literal follower of Jesus, that I will follow you into Sheol. Mm-hmm. I will follow you up into the brightest lights like a city on the hill. And, you know, that the greatest call on my life, I, I began to be aware, you know, was not to be a phenomenal leader, a phenomenal mom, a phenomenal wife, but to actually lay down my life to follow him. What difference has that done in your life? Yeah. You know, the joy. There is no joy (laughs) like the joy of 
I hang on to nothing. Mm. There's no joy like the joy of an entirely surrendered life. Mm. Because what what in life could ever be more overwhelming than being his? Mm. What what could ever get bigger than we belong to the living God? <laughs> what what could ever get more more magnificent than I am his. And, you know, the the joy that I have found in living a life of absolute abandon, where the road is narrow, where the the road is narrow, there's not many ways that that lead to the real, authentic, resurrected, wildly offensive Jesus Christ. <laughs> and there's just no greater joy than walking into that narrow path and finding he he is so much better than I could have dreamt up on my best day. When uh, when you were writing the book, because I know that came so much part of your journey, you yeah. share some of your life and uh, what motivated you to write this book? Yeah, and you know, really the writing of the book, as I just began to pour out my heart, I found this this writing became my most intimate worship. Mm. And I, I found more than any song I could sing, more, more than um, anything I'd experienced in my life, I found reminding Jesus what he had done, mm. rehearsing what Jesus had done, um, just felt like the most intimate, deep worship. And I found myself just saying over and over, look what you've done with my life. Come and look what you've done with my life. You have ruined me with what you've done with my life. And, you know, I wrote early in the morning out on my back deck. And I remember several mornings just sensing he was outside just pacing the deck, just waiting for me to come <laughs> and step up to the computer. And, and I could feel his heart peeking over my shoulder, just waiting to see what, what would I write. And, you know, I didn't know that he was waiting to hear what I would have to say. Hmm. I didn't know that he was waiting to hear my perspective, to, to hear the gushing of my heart. And everything changed in my motivation to write this book when I realized, oh, heaven is waiting. Heaven is waiting to see how I will respond to the finished work, the price that Jesus paid in my life. And, you know, I kept seeing him as that father with a brand new baby. And for months, they just have their face in their face and we're just gushing. You're the most beautiful person I've ever seen. I love you, I'm proud of you. And we're just ooing and aahing. And that baby has no idea what we're saying. But fathers wait for that first word. They sit on the edge of their seat. What is she going to say first? What's, what is going to come out of this little person? And, you know, as I wrote the book, I discovered that type of expectation comes from the one in whose image we have been created, mm. that he's actually on the edge of his seat. He's been pouring out adoration, pouring out unending love and deep affection and he has been on the edge of his seat waiting for sons and daughters to say their first word to to begin to spill out our language that that he intended us to echo on the earth to reveal him mm. i was just thinking about because the title is the war on your voice and i do believe that everybody have a sound and there's yeah. something in them that would reflect who papa god is and who they are 
but there has been this war on the voice. And what are some of the things that you see, some of the weapons of the enemy that tries to silence people's voices and stealing their identity? Uh, because I know that part of the journey that you have is that you've had a long winter season before springtime came. There was the sunset before there was sunrise. There was a long Friday before Easter Sunday. So what I love about this book is to help other people also that it's not just that, wow, you just had a, an encounter and everything changed, but it's mm -hmm. you've been through a process that brought you to the other side that can describe and help also other people because that's what I feel this book is such a tool. Uh, everything from shame to guilt to fear, it just deals with so many different topics. So what do you see as some of the weapons of the enemy uh, that is trying to silence the voice of the sons and daughters? Yeah, and you know, at the heart of that war, what I discovered, you know, when I was writing the book, I chose to put the crown of thorns on the cover because I saw the way that Jesus won that war. And I I was just caught up in the passage where he had just been scorched and, you know, brutally beaten with a whip that had metal attached to it. And it it was such a brutal beating that historically prisoners barely made it out alive from that type of beating. And he probably had organs exposed and could barely stand. And an entire battalion, hundreds of soldiers gathered around him after he had been scourged and began to mock him. And as I made my way through the story of Jesus being mocked, that they they were being cruel. The enemy's cruelness was at a level that it's hard to comprehend what the Messiah went through. But they they put a robe on his back to mock his royalty. Mm -hmm. They put a victor's crown to mock the victory he claimed to come in. Mm -hmm. uh, they put a staff in his hand and they just began to spit on him and said, oh, you think you're the king, you know, you think you're the king of kings. They mocked him with, you know, a banner above his head and just began to mock the very identity that he had come trumpeting, announcing, you know, the savior is here. The son of the living God is here. And they bowed down before him, spit on him. And he knew that every knee would bow every tongue would confess there was no question in the person of jesus about who he was and who he belonged to and yet in that moment he was completely silent mm. and he was winning the war on our voice that we would never again have to use our voice to defend who we are to defend who we belong to to get in arguments with a spirit of shame and you know it says in hebrews that he conquered the humiliation of the cross mm. and when you look into that phrase it actually means that he he didn't even consider it Shame wasn't something that he was arguing with in his mind. It wasn't even a thought process in that moment. It was for the joy set before him that he knew he was winning our sound for the rest of eternity. And I have found the same tactics in my own personal life that the enemy begins to mock the truth of who we are. You think God really cares about you? You think the Father actually loves you specifically you think redemption 
was actually for you personally, that you were actually on the mind of Christ when he was enduring that? You think you were actually a happy thought in the creator of the universe? And the enemy comes to shame us and guilt us in, in for feeling the truth of what Jesus has won in our identity. And, you know, I, I found that one of the biggest arrows in my own personal life has been just that mocking of shame that, you know what, you know what Jesus really needs is less of you. You know what the world really needs is less of you. And what a huge ploy of a spirit of shame since the beginning of creation, trying to get the people of God to hide who we belong to, to hide the reality of, I am a son, I am a daughter of the living God, that there's literally no place in my story that he's ashamed to go. That, you know, Isaiah prophesied about how the Messiah would think about the cross. And he said, he will never regret what has been done. Mm. And in our lowest, most shameful moment, he came in the fullness of his mercy, in the fullness of his love, and sat right beside us and said, I will be your redemption. I will be the, the light of the world. And, you know, we have been hidden inside the brightest light that is to heal the entire world. So it's never, being hidden in Christ is never so there's less to see. It, it's so that all of our redemption is visible. All of our forgiveness is visible. Why do you think so, so many people are still struggling then with guilt, shame, and fear? Because I mean, it's you can, you can see it's probably one of the things that keeps First of all, uh, the world to see who our papa is because the sons and daughters don't see who they are. But it is uh, it is very, very clearly that so many people, it's one of the weapons the enemy stops us even to be able to share this good news is because he uses shame of who we are not instead of who we are. Yeah. So, so how do you see or what would be some of the tools even for people that are struggling? Uh, because you just mentioned about the shame and, and fear and guilt is three, three primary things that I see that the enemy is trying to do to stop us to be able to reflect who our Papa is, but also so we don't see who we are, so that the world will not know how good he is and how loved they are. Yeah, yeah, and I, I think in my personal story, what happened was, you know, I, I just kept focusing on me and, you know, where I had fallen short, what I was afraid of, where I was stuck. And, you know, the entire emphasis of the gospel is not are we enough mm. but is he enough yeah. and when we start actually beholding the one who became enough for us and we lift our eyes off of our lack off of our insufficiency off of our failure and we actually start beholding the the one who paid every price that we could live in fullness of joy and you know i I keep hearing this whisper of the Father these last several weeks, like, what what will it take for you to believe you are entirely guilt-free? Hmm. Like, what will it take? What else needs to be done that you could step in to the clean slate that I, I purchased for you? And, you know, when we lose sight of the good in the good news of the gospel, we, we get stuck. 
in cycles of shame, cycles of fear, cycles of condemnation. And when the emphasis becomes on what I can do, what I have done, what I need to do, it just dips us back into what Paul says, you know, who has bewitched you? This will never start with you. This will never end with you. It is finished. Mm -hmm. And we have been brought delightfully close, Ephesians says, Mm -hmm. to Jesus. And so much of my Christian life, I spent trying to get delightfully close to Jesus. How I need to pray more. I need to fast more. I need to take more risks. I need to get over that habit. And we could spend our entire Christian experience trying to get what we already have, that we have actually been gifted a delightfully close connection to Jesus. And we do all the things we do because we are delightfully close to him, mm. not to get delightfully close to him. And, you know, the, the more aware we start to live of who we actually live inside of, the less fear became a problem in my life, the less shame. And even still, when I start to get afraid, when I start to feel shame, you know, when you start How to... How does that happen for you? What, uh, what are... When are some of the moments when often, because for me, sometimes it could be a Monday after you finish, you've ministered and everything else. And then we often call it a, you land and and now you start to see who you're not instead of who you are. So what are some yeah. of the times when the enemy have a tendency to to go after you? Yeah, yeah. So even this week, you know, I shared um, in school on Tuesday and you know when you you're just living bold and free and there's nothing to hide and i can feel i lay my head on my pillow and i could feel this nagging thing wow that was that was a lot of you mm. that might have been like maybe you exposed too much of you you know and i can hear that taunting of shame beckoning me behind a fig leaf mm. ah you know you you might want to just back it up a little bit you know, and underneath of it is that same echo, because what people really need is less of you. What people really need, what the church really needs, what the world really needs, you know, is, is you just to kind of monitor how much of you is actually showing up to the table. And so when I start to get into those cycles, I have to go all the way back to the gospel mm. and I have to rehearse what has been done. I have to rehearse what would a daughter that is wildly confident in who her father is, mm. that is wildly confident in his affection, that he he cannot be swayed about his opinion about us, that he sees everything. Mm. Did I share anything mm. that he is unaware of? No. Did I have I ever exposed anything about myself that shocked him? Like, no, he has absolutely memorized and studied every thought. Psalm 139 says, before we even say a word, he memorized it. And I have to go back to what I signed up for. Okay, well, I signed up to crucify every other opinion in my life. Mm -hmm. I actually signed up to go through this very narrow gate that no longer do I elevate people's perception of me. No longer do I elevate, was I enough for them? Mm. Because the question of the gospel will never be, was I enough for them? But was I enough for him? Mm. 
And that answer will always be, oh, you are overwhelmingly enough because of who Jesus is, because of who he decided to be. And so when I find myself stuck in cycles, the best thing for me I have found is just to sit down, Mm. to sit down in my seat in Christ and begin to take stock of where I actually live. Mm. I live in an elevated, I've been seated in heavenly places where shame isn't even a thought process. Shame isn't even a consideration. It's not like Jesus made good choices in the face of shame. He didn't even engage in a conversation with shame. And that's the reality of what's happening in heaven. People in heaven aren't choosing faith when fear is present. Like fear, the perfect love has so saturated reality that that fear isn't even a giant anymore. And when I actually sit down and I take stock of, I, I live in a place where there is no lack, where people are confused when you say shame, where you, know, you, you look over and everyone's living in the fullness of love. And that is a supernatural ascended life of living from heaven to earth that then it's like that, what, well, what could I lose in this moment? Mm. What, no, nothing I could lose on earth could ever touch the realm that I actually get my mail from, mm. where my toothbrush is, you know, where I, I pour my coffee from here. And so I'm just coming to earth on assignments to manifest the nature of the Father, but none of my identity comes from this realm. None of my security, none of my faith, none of my perspective, none of my confidence. And when I find any of that shaken, like this week, it was just such a gift because it exposes another area that has to change addresses. Like, I got to go home. I got to live from a higher dimension where I'm not losing sleep, navigating things no one in heaven is navigating. Because everyone in heaven is so overwhelmed all they can say over and over is worthy 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 and when our thought life gets too far from worthy is the lamb worthy is the lamb and when we start to get too far from that sound we got to go back home and hear what heaven is captivated by is there any songs in this season? Uh, I have a couple of songs. I just came from Europe, spent three weeks, and both Jennifer and I have a couple of things that we've just been listening to kind of a night and day and a couple of things that has captured my heart for this season. I was just curious about you. Any music, any any songs that has just make you alive uh, in this I, season? I love that question. Yeah. I am a, a major song repeater. Oh. <laughs> so right now I have two songs that I just can't get enough of. And I just type it into YouTube and one is Dove's Eyes. Mm-hmm. And uh, several people sing it. Tasha Cobbs sings it on the YouTube one I keep listening to. And she, you know, it's that I don't want to talk about you like you're not in the room. Give me dove's eyes. Give mm. me dove's eyes. And the other one is this clip from Bethel TV, and it's also on YouTube by Rita Springer, mm. and it's called No Striving. Mm. There is no striving. There's no striving. Burn it all away to get to the core of my worship. Mm. Just get to the core of my worship. I don't have to fight for your attention because your eyes are ever upon me. So good. I have one of the ones that's rice. Mm-hmm. Rise a hallelujah. Rise a hallelujah. Yeah. Uh, so that, that has been one of them. And uh, ain't no grave. That, uh, can, that those are two of the ones that. 
and and it's very helpful because when you wake up in the morning and I've done this lately just uh, just focusing I, I'm looking up I did it this morning for Papa and he just reveals who he is wow. so who, who are you to me he said I am your Papa and I just say back and then I say who am I to you and he said oh I'm your son and we just have this thing going me and Papa and there's this incredible alignment and before I go to bed I do the same thing it's just these I do a couple of these simple things so that I'm making sure before I go to bed I'm totally in alignment as mm. a son yeah. with a dove with Papa and it's just uh, something very restful happens. And then when I wake up in the morning, the first thing I do again, I've been very early now because of jet lag. So four o'clock this morning is like, okay, let me make sure to look up before I look out. Yes, I look up, so then I look in, then I look out, and then then I can look forward even to the future. So it's just some of those that I, I, I say is tools that helps me uh, just to be able to stay in alignment and yeah, then also so to keep good. different tools. Tell me a little bit more about the book. I'm interested. I had an opportunity to read it. Uh, but what uh, what value do you think this can add to people that are out there? Because yeah. I know there's a lot of people out there struggling. Yeah, yeah. And you know, the um, I really pray through the book that my vulnerability in my stories, you know, I, I really tell a lot of my personal story. And my prayer is that as as people read those stories that they would find themselves connecting with their own story mm. because you know the only story we will ever have the leading role where our voice actually gets the leading role in this story mm. is our own story yeah. i don't get to step into anybody else's story and have the leading role and i, I think the enemy is terrified of a generation who would fall in love and be honest and live inside of their real story. Because when we fall in love with and live inside of our real story, we can't help but fall in love with the one who's writing it. Mm. And, you know, fantasy is constantly wanting to escape our story. And it's looking around for years of my life, I just looked around at everybody else's story and wished it was mine. Mm. And fantasy is always thinking of how could I have their story? How could I have more of what they have? And, you know, it's just a trick to get us from ever actually living who we're supposed to live, the story we are supposed to be manifesting that will never be replicated in all of human history. And for generations, people have been saying, God is good. God is faithful. He is more than enough. But nobody in all of human history has ever stepped inside of your story, inside of your abuse, mm. in, inside of your injustice, inside of your heartbreak, inside of your successes, and said, God is good. Mm. God is faithful. And you know, that that is the sound of our worship when we're actually living in the reality of our personal story and hope, which is just another thing I pray, you know, that people who have just been battling with hopelessness in their story, hopelessness in their pain and in their brokenness, that they could connect in this book with hope doesn't escape the reality of your story, that hope actually gives permission to look around and see every injustice, to, to feel every grief, to feel the weight of the reality of where you are. And it, and it at the same time, 
gives permission to see the truth of who Jesus is mm-hmm. and the truth of what Jesus has done and the truth of his sufficiency. And people of hope are unstoppable because of that tension. And I think, you know, the whole earth is groaning mm. in actual agony for sons and daughters to arise on the earth because sons and daughters are the aroma of hope. They are the sound of the rolled away stone. They they are the the dawning of a new day because they give a broken world, a hurting world, permission to validate, hey, that is wildly painful. Mm. That is a deep injustice. And and faith isn't pretending away the reality of our story. Mm. Faith is going to the garden and seeing Jesus actually intimately take on every injustice that was ever done to us. That he actually became intimately acquainted with the weight of our grief. That he didn't just brush it to the side, that he took it inside of his person and actually fell on the ground in absolute brokenness and to the point of sweating drops of blood. And Hope is an invitation to go lay on the ground in that garden and look in his face and see he memorized my pain. Mm. He actually took it on as his own. And the invitation of the gospel is, can we memorize his? Because it's not enough just to stop at, he knows my pain, he knows my shame, he knows my guilt. We actually have to take it a step farther and say, can I know his? Mm. Can I know his perfection? Can I know his sufficiency? Can I know what he paid for so in that moment? Hmm. Yeah, I think that was one of the thoughts that I've been interested in during Easter especially is yeah. that Friday sometimes, I call it a pre-curtain, that so many times we stay on the other side of the curtain, but the curtain or the veil was actually open up for that moment and some of us so many people are living on the wrong side of the curtain when actually what happened when he tore that curtain to give us both an open heaven so we're not living on friday but then we're moving on to sunday yeah and it's also so important because on sunday things looks differently you're on the other side of the curtain or the other side of the veil where that veil has not now been torn that has been between heaven and earth and also between the father and his family sons and daughters so for me, that has become very, very important even to be aware of. Yes, I can. You need to honor and value Friday to be able to understand Sunday. Yeah. But it's very important for us to move on to Sunday. It didn't stop with Friday because yeah, that would be so very, good. very bad news. But when we can move on to <laughs> right. Sunday and, and, and realizing that after Friday, Sunday is coming. And then to realizing that that's where we're living from. And that's also who we are. It's also not that we're not just co-crucified or co-buried but we also co-resurrected together with him and that gives me at least a lot of hope yeah yeah and you know that jesus isn't known as the greatest victim of humanity for the rest of eternity you know and because he didn't take on the identity of friday we have permission to never take on the identity of 
injustice, mm. but that we actually get to be identified with as he is so the greatest champion the world has ever seen, that we no longer have to take on the identity of our past, of mm. our abuse, of our pain, that we get to be recreated mm. inside the same spirit that raised him up from the dead and actually be the happy sound of the good news of the gospel on the earth. You know that this kind of thing it can lead to dancing. <laughs> and, and we can become very joyful Christians, so we need to be careful. To... Be careful. We yes. might get a little too happy. I think we could get very happy. I mean, maybe the joy of the Lord is our strength. Now Whoa. That's, that's, wow. That's, that's amazing. I am interested also for people that are out there, because I know you, uh, you are part of the leadership of our church, one of the pastors, part of our school. Uh, but also I want people to know how can they get hold of you and because for myself I, I get very blessed of being around you get the opportunity to be in church and even listen to you there and be around uh, just your family but I would like our family GMA family one of the reasons I wanted you here is uh, I, I've been aware of the special sauce that you carry and I want to place that at a bigger family table and I want everyone throughout the world that are listening to this, but also our bigger family, to be able to taste of some of the things that you're carrying that is going to add so much value to the bigger body of Christ. So can you also help me practically speaking? How can people find out who Jenny Stockman is? How can they get more? And especially also, how can I get hold of this book? Because I know it's going to make such a difference in people's lives. Yes. So anyone can head over to Amazon and just type in The War on Your Voice, Jen Stockman, and it will pop right up. And that's the primary best way to get the book. And, um, you know, I'm on the Bethel Atlanta podcast about once a month. Okay. So those are all free. Anybody can go download any of those messages. I'm on Facebook and Instagram as Jen Stockman. And um, Justin and I have a website coming where I'll be blogging yes. regularly really soon. <laughs> and that's going to be justinandjenstockman.com. Come on. Yeah. I like that. Yes. I'm excited. Me too. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> I would like you to pray for the people that are out there. Yeah. Just, uh, I know that there are so many people that are, they're just, they've been in this battlefield, this warfare, and, and it's been a long, long Friday, and they're still waiting for Sunday to come. Yeah. And I feel that what you are carrying so much is that there is this incredible hope, but there is this resurrection power that is available to people. And what I do believe is an impartation. You teach what you know, but you reproduce who you are. Yeah. I know that you have become an overcomer. And I feel especially that overcomer anointing is going to be released over people so that they can also overcome some of their circumstances and stepping into their identity so they can find their destiny. So I would like for you just to pray over uh, every one of us that are listening here and so we can receive just something, whoa, fresh. <laughs> yeah, so Holy Spirit, we just are so grateful. We're just so grateful for mm. just this good news that, you know, so many prophets and friends of God in Old Testament so history kind of looked forward to our moment with such eager expectation and laid down their lives so that we could live inside this new covenant. And so I just pray for every single person that's listening to this. Mm. And I just thank you, Jesus, that they are, they are not an accident, that they are wildly on purpose from the top of their head to the tip of their toes, that 
they are actually the dream of the Father, mm. that they are the best of the Father, <laughs> that there is no second class or just a little bit below when it comes to what the Father creates. And I just thank you, Papa, Papa. that you created each and every person listening with wild intention. And so I just ask just for an overwhelming awareness, even right now, that there is a God who is near, who has memorized and studied their every thought. And I, I just impart a, a, a spirit of hope, an unshakable, unbeatable hope that comes from another realm hmm. that can't be explained away, that, that doesn't make sense, that isn't hmm. rational. And I just ask for hope just to come and embody every story, every person that's listening. And, and I just prophesy a season of resurrection life that what the world has called, that's Lazarus, that will mm -hmm. never raise again. I just thank you, Jesus, that nothing is impossible when you speak, that you said a word and the entire world was created. And so I just speak to the dry bones in these stories. And I just say, arise, arise, arise and shine. Your light has come. Your light has stepped into the fullness of your story. And I just release a blessing of the favor of his face mm. and awareness that he is actually smiling and pleased with every area of your life. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Well, thank you so much for listening. And I encourage you at the strongest to get hold of this book, uh, as well as also connect with Jen Stockman. And I'm going to make sure that uh, with Global Mission Awareness that we're going to give you very easy access so that you know how to get hold of that. So I hope this has blessed you and I'm very excited to hear from you next time. And uh, we are excited to, uh, to just hearing the story and the testimony of your life as you are finding your voice. Bless you.